even when you have top leadership buy-in, I think I heard you say this recently. Um, you may be the top leader, but that doesn't mean you're in charge. You still have to bring the system along. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. This is another episode of the podcast, Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. Melissa, please go ahead. Oh, thank you, Maurice. It's great to be here. We've been talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm Melissa O'Mara. Um, I work, my company now is the Leaders Collab, which I started in 2014. And I work with corporate leaders, um, uh, particularly change makers, uh, people that that are trying to make a difference in the world. So no, no, I guess, surprise that I'm on Maurice's podcast, um, who are up to something around sustainability or um, the SDGs and who are wanting to lead change uh, and transformation in their organization or their industry or could even be on a particular project or initiative. Um, So my focus is really on large-scale systems change. Um, and I started this business in 2014 after 28 years being sort of the person I now coach (laughs) sitting inside of IBM, Schneider Electric, Mm. um, my last jobs, um, in those roles were in the, um, high performance green building space and the smart city space. And, uh, well, you can imagine these are really big, hairy, audacious (laughs) projects that, with lots of moving parts and lots of different agendas and silos and interest groups. And so um, figuring out how to bring people together around something that everybody can buy into that, that they can feel is compelling is a big part of those kinds of projects. Um, And I felt like that was what I was most called to do. And oftentimes uh, it was also an area that, in those days, I'll say in those days, because it was eight mm-hmm. years ago, um, there wasn't necessarily as much investment on the human side of change as there was on the process and the technology focus of the smart cities or the green buildings, if that makes any sense. Let, let us come back to this uh, a little bit later. Uh, tell us, um, because you had, you know, it seems like you had a life before what you're doing now. So t- tell us how you got there. And and then we go slowly into you know why you changed your yeah path. Well, it's kind of a crazy story. So I grew up on a farm in upstate New York, about I don't know thirty miles as the crow flies, maybe from where I am now. And I've been mm-hmm. all over the world. I've been in China and India and kind of you know all kinds of places um, for my work. But um, I 
I moved back to upstate New York, um, I think four years after I graduated from college, from Clarkson University, which is an engineering school up in mm. northern New York, Potsdam, New York. Um, and so even how I got to Potsdam was sort of, oh, I don't know, accidental or um, <laughs> fortuitous. I knew I wanted to do something different. Um, I knew that I um, I was... I wanted to leave high school early if I could to do uh, an internship or something a semester abroad. And um, a recruiter from the Clarkson school came to my high school for the first time. And luckily my guidance counselor remembered that I had had that conversation with him and he brought me down and, and to the office. And I went and visited this program called the Clarkson school program um, and ended up going to college in a bridging year. So bridging mm -hmm. is kind of a theme for me a little bit. Um, it, it, I combined my, co my college freshman year with my high school, hmm. um, senior year with about 50 other kids from all around the world. And, um, I had no idea, of course, at that point, what I wanted to do. Cause all I knew, you know, it were farmers, doctors, firemen, nurses, you know, like I, I didn't have any concept of corporate. Um, but I was going to an engineering school, so I decided to study undecided engineering. And I stayed because I still didn't know what I wanted to do, to be frank. Um, and then senior year, I had some friends that were uh, interviewing for Anderson Consulting, Accenture, now. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that sounds really interesting. So I ended up being hired. Um by Anderson Consulting. And I would say that was actually the beginning of my change management career mm. because we were implementing technology systems for companies in the very first or organizations and the very first project that was on a two and a half year project um, called Nelcomis for the Navy. Um, so it was an aircraft logistics uh, maintenance and um, a supply system, which still the name Nelcomis still exists. There's still such a system today. And mm -hmm. I was in a whole new world suddenly. I went from the farm to mm -hmm. college in Potsdam, New York, New York to like um, Norfolk, Virginia, and you know, you know the the naval base out there. And and I began doing these technology projects, these systems, technology driven systems change process mm -hmm. or projects that also had process change requirements, which of course created all kinds of human change. And I remember it was in those days when I was working for Anderson that they actually uh, started to change management practice. And I was really pulled towards it at that time, but I ended up leaving and going to work for IBM. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of a, a windy, twisty yeah. road. I have one question because you were describing that you grew up on the farm. So does yeah. that mean that your, your, your parents were farmers? My both, I come from multiple generations of farmers on okay. both sides. So, so why why did you not end up in in that, you know, on the farm? Oh uh, yeah, well, you know, this was this was um, this is kind of sad, right? This is the time mm. in the U.S. when small family farms mm. were really struggling, um, and um, and oh, I mean, I did work on the farm growing up. I can drive a tractor and I can bale hay and I can, you know, do all these kinds of things. Um, and I enjoyed the, I love the field work. I didn't really love, you know, working with the animals that much. Um, 
but my mom and dad both wanted to go to college and started, you know, college and they never finished. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't, it was never a question to me that I was going to go to college Mm -hmm. and I was going to do something different. It it just never occurred to me to stay on the farm. And that's Mm -hmm. just true. I mean, I had, I left my horse (laughs) behind, uh, and I, and I, and I came back every chance I got, um, and I still do go back um, to mm-hmm. that Kyler Hill farm. Okay. Let us jump back to, you know, the, the company that you started a couple of, of uh, years ago. So, um, yeah, what what are you trying to, to do, you know, and, <laughs> and what do you hope? What, what do you aspire for? Yeah, so... Um... Well, this goes back actually to another transition back in um, middle of my career back in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a farmer, I've always been connected to the land um, and I still live in the woods. And um, and in 2006, um, I was very aware of climate change. Um, and I took my family to see an inconvenient truth. And my daughter, Kelsey, was 12 at the time. Uh, she's my oldest. And um, I, if you read it, if your listeners don't know An Inconvenient Truth, that's the Al Gore film that really sort of, I don't know, in some ways woke up a new generation of, of folks around climate change. Um, and I had not seen the movie. So when we walked out of the theater, I remember feeling a little bit like, wow, that was a lot, a little bit of you know, overwhelmed. So I asked my daughter, uh, Kelsey, what did you think about the movie? And she said, uh, mom, I don't know if I want to have kids. And, you know, I was shocked because she was 12 and I thought, well, I've got to do something about this. And so I immediately said, Kelsey, you know, luckily you don't have to make that decision right now. You've got lots of time and Also, I want you to know that a lot of very, very smart people are working on this, including me, which was like a little bit true, but that's really when my pivot, when my job sculpting, when I began to really crank things around and and become an entrepreneur, I really began to decide what I was going to say yes to, what I was going to say no to. I was already um, a professional coach. I was a certified professional coach at that time, but I was in the line of business. I wasn't doing coaching. Um, So I said, what can I do inside of industrial sector? And with clients like General Motors or, you know, all kinds of big companies um, in the central region, the U.S. is where I was focused. And I said, you know what? Um, IBM's values are um, include innovation that matters to IBM, our clients in the world. So what matters? What matters to manufacturing companies or what will matter? You know, and and what will matter is energy efficiency, water efficiency, carbon efficiency. You know, so I began to really drive to the degree that I could the sustainability awareness inside of uh, IBM's industrial sector in the U.S. And started showing up at conferences. Ended up then becoming speak, you know, speaking at conferences and on panels and all those kinds of things. Just like threw myself into it because. I had to, I, I felt I had to, it seemed like Mm -hmm. the only thing to do. And, um, we found a sort of a green army in IBM too. We, we had an innovation jam in 2006. So a number of different things happened 
And one of the topics was on sustainability. Uh, and, and so we, we found each other on this massive online threaded discussion. There are four topics, one of which was in the sustainability space. All of the people that cared about sustainability and IBM were like all over that forum, right? All over that talking about what we could do. How would, could we bring technology to market or how could we bring things from our plants that we were doing inside of our own plants to our client base? And so that started, you know, that was really the beginning of the Smarter Planet initiative for IBM was that jam. And then we did some, um, we, we, the, it's funny, the strategy leader, one of the strategy leaders in IBM at the time, um, Colin Harrison, asked, he, he called a call of the Green Army. I don't know exactly how he did that because I don't remember like how we were connected, but he did. And um, he basically said, we're going to do an industry impacts of climate change study. Who would like to volunteer to lead it? <laughs> and so it was an entirely volunteer um, project. And um, that was in 2009. I was highly, heavily involved in that too. And, and Smarter Planet came soon thereafter. So, so I mean, yeah. that was pretty exciting to to work on and be part of uh, right um, but you still you decide then to leave it at a certain moment and go you know start something uh, by yourself why um yeah and i want to say this in a way that's really respectful um because big companies small companies all companies mine included like we have to balance um profit and revenue with everything else like it's the lifeblood of the company you have you know money makes things possible so what i will sometimes say is that when um when the company gets a cold the innovation initiatives get the flu and people die you know or they get sort of tamped down you know the budgets shrink and so you are expected to do a lot sometimes um in these big, you know, headliner kinds of projects like smart, smarter planets or smart buildings or um, smart cities. And yet um, the understanding of how much it takes to turn that ship around and to, to really sail off into new waters, um, the people aspect of that were not as understood, not as well invested in as I knew needed were needed to be. But the, you know, I know you're going to ask me about the inner development goals. There wasn't any such thing back then. But um, what I ended up leaving for was I, I became a, a certified leader of a program called Collective Leadership that was co-created by Rolene Boxham in the Netherlands and Jane Lieber in Australia. And Jane was a colleague of mine from IBM time. So here I am at Schneider Electric, but still in touch with Jane. And she's telling me about this incredible program that she was building. And it included... Mm -hmm you know, three modules. One of them was leading from your authentic core. So who am I really? What do I, you know, what does my heart say, you know, that I, that I need to do, you know, values-based purpose driven leading from the collective, which is more like now what Frederick Alou would talk about in reinventing organization, it's systems or uh, leadership, or it's um, this flatter kind of organic way of leading right 
And then the third principle was leading from the emerging future, which is the basis of Otto Scharmer's work in Theory U. And I said, oh my gosh, if you're creating a program that brings those three things together, I'm in. So back in 2010, 11, I started the training, doing, going and attending their training, getting certified. And my intention was to bring it into the companies I was working in. But when it proved that that wasn't going to be able to happen right away, I said, okay. And my, my leader did too. I worked for Jim Anderson at the time. He said, Melissa, go start your company. Because he knew that it wasn't quite, you know, Schneider wasn't quite ready for that at the time. Um, and, you know, could I have stayed? I could have stayed. And, and you know, I, I don't have any regrets. I, I just went off on this other part of my learning journey and became an entrepreneur instead of an intrapreneur, if that makes sense. Let us uh, focus on on what I, I know how you and I met. Uh, well, the online community that I launched yeah. this year in October is called Changemakers at Work. Okay. So that's a new new uh, chapter as well. It's a mm -hmm. pretty new chapter. Um, about a year ago, um, I decided that I needed to focus back in even more so on the sustainability space and into the transformative leadership space. And so I began, I, I launched something for free just to get my feet wet, uh, a Monday power-up series. Um, every Monday I would bring together anybody who wanted to. We ended up with a nice little tribe. Um, and we were focused on, you know, the change initiatives they were trying to launch into the world. Um, using a model I use quite frequently called the bigger game is one of the core tenants, but I was bringing in theory you and other things as well and um yeah and so i was doing that for free knowing that i wanted to create an online community and so finally in october i launched this online paid community um, for change makers in the workplace for entrepreneurs kind of for the people that look a lot like I looked like in 2006, seven, eight, nine, you know, and, and beyond, you know, when I was in the corporate space, they are the folks that I love to work with, that I love to support are those, um, some people call them square pegs in the round holes, you know, the ones who think that they can change the world or, and they're determined to try. Right. And they're doing it as part of their day job. Because I know there's a lot of people that are really passionate about sustainability and they find their way to do it, but it uh, some of them do it, you know, through volunteering and through board memberships and other ways. Um, I really want and hope for most people that they can find a way to get passion into their core job. And so for those folks that are passionate about making business a force for good, which I am, I'm very passionate about this idea that businesses can be a force for good. And in fact, I think we can turn those ships around faster than we can turn governments around. And some of the, and so I like lean into business as a major platform for change and, and progress and sustainable, regenerative leadership. And that might be to some people crazy because I know there are a lot of folks that are out there saying, tear it down, you know, capitalism's broken and, um, you know, it, we'll never be able to do this. And all these big companies are going to die under their own weight and they're elephants. And well, 
there's those big companies have incredible human beings in them with intelligence and they want to make a difference too. So how do we unleash all that power and shift it into um, the energy we need to actually create a more sustainable, really reinvent every industry? I mean, we, we are at that place where almost everything, I believe, does need to be reinvented through the lens of sustainability, um, nature-based solutions, regeneration. Um, these are the challenges that our companies and our company leaders face, whether they know it or not. Well, 2014, when I launched my company, I tried to bring this collective leadership work in. I was ahead. I think that now there's this growing awareness that this, this kind of combination of inner work and outer work that leaders really um, have to transform themselves and their teams in order to have this impact, um, you know, to do this really hard work, but good work. A couple of quick questions around this. What is the the biggest challenge, or maybe you know, if there is not one, if that's too difficult, what's the top three of challenges for these type of leaders that you're working with uh, mm-hmm. today? One. Second, um, what do you have to offer for them? Mm-hmm. And three, can you please explain what this bigger game is? Oh, sure. I hear you <laughs> often mentioning this, so. I'm sure the listeners would like to know about this. Sure. Uh, biggest problems. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, leaders, corporate leaders who are awakened, very aware that climate change is a huge issue, and they have come to the realization that they um, are that they want to make a difference in their workplace. Now, they might have been already doing this work for 10 or 15 or 20 years, um, or they may have just sort of in the last couple of years decided and woken up to this um, as a core passion. And it doesn't really matter. I think that the the challenges that they face are, one, passion-driven leaders, purpose-driven leaders um, will, because we care, they care so much, um, they can face burnout very quickly and and not take good care of themselves. And they'll so they'll put themselves sometimes last. And, and we can't afford for them to burn out. Um, there's also this gift and not gift, uh, opposite of the gift, you know, challenge, blind spot of passion. And that is we can try to drive our viewpoint through, like we're right, you're wrong, you know, just get on board. And we might not say those words, right, but our energy can be very like, oh. and, and so there's, that creates resistance. And so what I can help these leaders do is to understand more about their internal wiring, um, how they, what, how they impact other people, how they can um, get people on board and and lead change in a way that feels um, inclusive and that feels good, where other people's voices are heard and where they pace themselves, um, where they really are assessing and they're becoming not just self-aware, but systems aware. 
They're aware of the readiness in the organization right now, where they sit and where they have influence. And they meet that system of humans and technology and metrics and stuff. They meet the system where it's at. And they, I'm going to say something that I don't usually say to clients. They're going to love it forward instead of, instead of shaming it forward or pushing it or driving it. They're going to meet it where it's at. They're going to be empathetic um, and find a way to unleash the energy in the system that actually already wants to change. Okay, so this sounds a little bit, maybe sounds a little bit uh, weird to people, the energy in the system. What the heck are you talking about? You and I are the energizers of companies people, human beings, right? We bring our know-how, our skills, our experience, but also our heart and our mind and our hands and our gut to work, unless we don't. And the interesting thing about that is, you know, you're reading about quiet quitting now, and, um, but, you know, this is not new. Gallup has said that 70% of, between 65 and 70% of employees have been disengaged or actively disengaged for a long time, which means that they're not actually bringing their whole selves to work. They're bringing maybe their minds and they're bringing some of their attention, but they're not bringing all of their attention and all of their heart in. So what I see when I look at an organization is huge amounts of untapped passion and talent that's sitting there, right? that if we could just listen and help people to tap into their own wanting for things to be different, wow, what power, right? What energy. Um, now to harness all that energy and point it in a single direction is work and, and, and requires incredible skill and nuance. And, and, and so that's what I've been practicing throughout my career and that's what I study because I'm a lifelong learner and I study humans and human dynamics and change. And so what I bring is uh, a partnership with whoever I work with um, to um, meet them where they're at because some of them are incredibly brilliant and have done so many good things. Help, help them figure out what their next edge is, where they can level up and still take care of themselves to have the impact they want to have. Because a lot of times when we're in these roles, these folks, they right now, I think almost every sustainability leader would say, I need to have more impact. I need to move faster. I need to get my organization to move faster. I need more people to be on board. That's what I can help them do. But it's, it's through coaching. It's not through like the, I'm not a, an ESG consultant. I'm not a sustainability consultant, but my focus is on the soft side of systems change. I'm, I'm working with the people and helping them find alignment around a common compelling purpose and name their bigger game, Maurice. <laughs> What's the bigger game that they're up to, that they're going to be up to together that they don't know how to do yet? So bigger game is just another name for an innovation initiative um, in a sense. 
um, that, and it has a particular, um, it's a framework for thinking about innovation and change. So I, I help them to define their next big, hairy, audacious goal. That'd be a synonym in a way for bigger game, a BHAG. Um, and then, and, and how I do that is not top down. I'm going to talk to a leader and have the leader declare their bigger game and push it into the system. I will work with leaders one-on-one to help them define their bigger game. And I'm going to ask them to go and figure out what their teams and the organization and their stakeholders hunger is, because that's how we create an emergent change process where everybody's on board, you know, or most people are on board, enough people are on board that then, then the momentum can take them and grow them to do this thing that they don't know how to do. Because really none of us know how to meet these sustainability goals that are being put out there today, I don't think. I think a lot of the ESG goals and the um, the COP goals, and they're, they're huge. Um, they're, we don't know how. We, we, we said we're going to do it. Like it's a moonshot kind of thing, right? We're going to do it. Don't know how. Roll up our sleeves, figure it out. Well, you need an, a high-performance team and a bought-in culture, you know, in order to make that really happen. So I don't know, Maurice, I mean, I can share a little bit about the bigger game too. Um, I'll share a picture, okay? So describe it what, for for the listeners. Yeah. Okay. I'll describe it. Um, it's a nine square model that you can draw. It looks like a tic-tac-toe board. At the top, it says, play your bigger game. Um, the top three squares are comfort zones on the left, hunger in the middle, and compelling purpose on the right. That is the activation layer of the bigger game. Um, that's where um, a, an individual and a team can find alignment and energy, enough alignment and energy to step out of business as usual, to step out of comfort zones and habits of belief and behavior, personal as well as cultural, in order to do something that's very, very, very important to them and to their clients and to their world. So the activation layer layer is um, the top three boxes. The middle are um, left to right, assess, bold action, and gulp. That I call the calibration layer. Um, bold actions touches every other square because when you take a bold action, it might be stepping out of comfort zone. It might be um, saying your compelling purpose out loud in front of people. It might be, um, you know, slowing down to assess what's really true about a situation that nobody wants to admit. How is your game actually going? Oh, it's not really going so well. That's a bold action to actually assess how it's going without laying blame on people, but just to make it better. So that's the middle layer, calibration. And then the bottom layer is the foundational layer. It includes three squares, sustainability, allies, and investment. Um, sustainability means sustainability of the players. It, it's not a burnout game. And sustainability of the 
the game itself, that it's not, that it could go on without you, that you've designed it in such a way that it has staying power and, or it will morph into the next thing naturally, emergently. So that's the sustainability square allies is obvious to me. You can't play a bigger game alone. Um, you need, you need all kinds of support. Even the people that say you can't do it, they're your allies because they're going to have you sharpen your saw, you sharpen your pen, you know, um, realign, rethink. Um, they're just giving us information, right? That, that somebody somehow it's not ready yet. And then investment is anything that you might need to build or create um, in order to make this bigger game happen. It could be a new business model. It could be new skills and competencies. It could be uh, you know, new technology could be anything, but in order to play that game, you have to invest. So that's the bigger game model. A question about, yeah, a question about the allies. Is it is it possible to play a bigger game uh, without the buy-in of the top leader and or the board? in an organization? Well, I think everybody knows that those things are called skunk works. <laughs> um, so the answer is yes and no, right? Um, yes, because you can create a bubble inside of, the, of a big organization um, where you create this awesome innovative culture and your team is playing a bigger game and um, I, I think of this as sort of like, a, um, you know, it's like this innovative cell inside of the bigger organism, you know, or a liminal cell, you know, they're, they're creating what's to come, what, what's meant to be born in the larger thing. Um, and sometimes those initiatives can last for years and grow into and become mainstream. And sometimes, um, they thrive for a while and then they get killed and then the but but the the component the people don't right a lot of times the people will go off and they'll spread around the organization or even a, a new organization so my view is you never can waste a bigger game because you're growing and learning and making change happen for a period of time but maybe even most importantly the the people that have now have built this innovation muscle and know-how and this ability to team and do what they didn't think was possible. So it would be great to have top leader buy-in. Even when you have top leadership buy-in, I think I heard you say this recently. Um, you may be the top leader, but that doesn't mean you're in charge. You still have to bring the system along. Uh, a CEO uh, has to bring his leadership team, his board, you know, key people and influencers throughout the organization. Yeah, nobody's really in charge. We just, we have a lot of titles and perceived power, but it is always systemic, this change beast. Um, it's not always pretty either. <laughs>
you, you you mentioned the sustainable development goal and the inner development goals already earlier. But if I think about, you know, the biggest game today, I often, well, I, I straight away think about the 17 sustainable development goals. My question to you is, um, what would you like the listeners to know about the 17 sustainable development goals and why? And then the second part of the question is, um, you know, we are not, we are lacking. We are not reaching those goals. It, it is not going fast enough. And one of the reasons is that uh, we as as a world did not pay proper attention to the skills, abilities, and uh, knowledge that we need as individuals, as as community. And therefore, we developed these inner development goals. Um, what do you think about the inner development goals? Can you so maybe elaborate a little bit on that? So two two questions. Yeah, so um, I think the sustainable development goals are are, are very important. You know, uh, I think we need um, frameworks, lists, um, and I know this is SDGs are sometimes arranged in different ways to help make more sense. And I I like I, I would like to see every company um, do an SDG self audit. You know, where they could become very clear on which of the SDGs that they were uh, committed to, um, contribute to, um, and even, you know, at a lower level, divisionally and teams would know, okay, ultimately, these are the SDGs that we're committed to. And here are our specific goals on on how we're going to to make those targets. I do think that... um, and, and it could be useful actually to frame a bigger game, do some exercises around, you know, um, creating awareness of the SDGs and then having people um, sort of claim them as, as part of their bigger game. Um, I don't think that for most companies it would ever be just one. I think there's almost always more than one that they would be embracing. And um, and then how they go about that, um, that work of, of achieving those, I mean, they should incorporate those into their KPIs, into their metrics. Um, so that's how I feel about the SDGs. I think they're very important. I think that the fact that they're, they're discrete is useful and, other, and yet they're also like interconnected. And so I think for some people, they find that to be, I don't know if the word is confusing, but they see them as overlapping in a way and they are. And so um, pick the ones that apply to your work and, you know, get to work on them if you, if you can. Um, I agree with you also that, and well, I guess um, there's general agreement that we're not making the progress as quickly as we need to make progress uh, against these SDGs. And um, so I, attended the first interdevelopment group summit um, in Stockholm in April, at the end of April. And it was amazing. It was an amazing event. And they really embedded the characteristics of the interdevelopment goals into the way they designed and um, conducted the session itself. So we were learning about the interdevelopment goals while we were developing ourselves. (laughs) We were doing the, some, these exercises ourselves. There was an, some incredibly ma- amazing 
um, exercises, some of which I've already used in the change makers at work community and with my clients. They're just, it, it's good stuff. Um, here's what I think is important about them. They were crowdsourced from lots of experts. Um, and they are, and they're lined up as a support mechanism to enable the SDGs to happen. So this brings this inner development work that I know is so important. Like who am I as a change maker? How does, how do I show up when I'm interacting with other people in such a way that they can work with me, that they, that I'm, they feel respected and, and cared about by me, right? This way of being, um, this ability to mobilize change, um, to have empathy, like these feel like soft skills, um, but it's actually, for most humans, it's really hard work because we don't get taught most of this stuff in school beyond like elementary school. We're taught to be nice to each other. We're taught the golden rule, but somehow, except unless you're in a really great leadership program in your company or something, a lot of that stuff doesn't get embedded into the culture. And sometimes some really bad opposite habits get embedded in fear. Um, uh, the, the phrase, it's just business. Um, you know, so it doesn't matter if I just shouted at you because it's just business. So there's just a lot of bad habits to break. I feel like the inner development goals are kind of like a Trojan horse to bring the soft skills work that the leadership and collective leadership work that I talked about earlier into organizations in order for them to achieve the SDGs and the ESG goals that they have. Um, they are now recognizing they've got to move faster and they need to do more. And so I, that's why I think that this is a great way, for example, for HR leaders and talent leaders and, and uh, learning and development leaders and coaches, right, to partner with the lines of business, particularly sustainability leaders um, and or DEI uh, leaders, anybody working on sustainable development goals and say, let's work together to create the kind of uh, competencies and capacities uh, so that we can bring that the company to a new level. Let me dive into more of that inner um, I always a question about music as well. If I ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song that best embodies who Melissa is, which song or piece of music would that be and why? Mm, yeah. So I, I have a hard time choosing Maurice and um, I, I knew this was coming. Um, my childhood self would choose 59th Street Bridge song. Slow down, you move too fast, you know, gotta make the morning last. So it's just such a great song. It makes you feel good, feeling groovy, right? Feeling groovy. Um, and that part of me still exists, luckily. So I still love that song. Um, for some reason, I'm just, I, I fell in love with the song Home um, by Philip Phillips. Um, and, uh, when he was on American Idol <laughs> and 
Um, I guess the other, well, so I, I'm going to do another Simon Garfunkel. Um, the Sounds of Silence, the complexity of the poetry, the meaning that I make of it now compared to what I made of it a decade or two decades ago. Um, sounds of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend, right? We have a lot of darkness to listen to and a lot of voices that maybe aren't speaking up because they don't think that they're being heard or that they will be heard. So listen to that one through the lens of speaking our truth. And you might hear a totally different song than you've heard before. No, thanks for, for sharing that. And, and we'll make sure that we add those songs, although you're cheating with three songs, uh, to the... Just, to just the, take one. Take one. <laughs> no, take no, no. I, 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 I will add them all three. Uh, I have had other guests who did the same. So um, so I'll add them to the Spotify playlist, uh, hashtag Walk, Talk, Listen, um, where all the songs that were selected by my guests can be listened to. Uh, talking about listening... I think that's also a very important part of the inner development goals. And um, I started to introduce something else uh, recently within the podcast, and that is to uh, ask my guests to uh, ask a question to the next guest. So I would like to uh, you to listen to the question that my previous guest has for you. My question is about the environment. And it's if you could do one thing right now, right now, to live more sustainably, what would it be? And would you be willing to tell others about it? This is quite a question, because I do think about this a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, I recently did like an, um, an online um, environmental footprint calculator. And um, I wasn't happy with the results. <laughs> um, I said, oh, I think it's only looking at stage one and two or uh, at um, scope one and two emissions. <laughs> um, but I think if I think about my daily life at home, um, I think it's to probably, whether I like it or not, to really look at um, how we bring food into the house. And um, making sure that we use less and less and less and less packaging. Um, and that it's, uh, it, I mean, I already mostly get local and organic, um, but there's still a lot of packaging, a lot of plastic. And I really have been trying to think about, I've already started, like I just changed, can't, it doesn't look too bad. I'm now using a soap bar for my shampoo. Um, instead of a bottle of shampoo and conditioner. So that eliminates, I don't know, four or five or six or seven bottles a year from the waste cycle. I just changed the way I'm not using dishwasher pods and laundry pods anymore with a little thin layer of plastic on the outside. I'm using crystals that come in a little um, aluminum can um, from seventh generation in the dishwasher. And I am experimenting with... <laughs> Soap nuts, I think that's what they're called. They're a natural thing and using soap nuts in my laundry. So any 
way that I can get away from, uh, we're, we're gonna, we're, we have uh, set up a root cellar. We, um, we make our own spaghetti sauce um, in the summers and we want to do more of that kind of going back in a way to the way my parents certainly did it. Um, preserving uh, the winter vegetables. We have a bunch of butternut squash in our root cellar that we can eat. That's the only thing we harvested this year that we could keep around, but more of that um, so that we can reduce our uh, the impact that we have related to our yeah, uh, buying food and other things too. And, and I know Everyday you stuff. enough uh, to, to also know that you are more than willing to share that with others as well. So, so um, yeah. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can put the links. Well, we can put the links below <laughs> to the soap nuts. and the <laughs> That's great. It's okay. a little different. Hey, but, Melissa, I, yeah. I, and there are still a couple of questions that I would like to ask you. I, I would like to, but I'm going to be going a little bit faster. So, so it's more a re rapid fire type of, of idea. Um, you know that this is a spin-off, this podcast of a 100-mile walk that I've been doing now for the last 11 years or so, or if maybe even more. The next one is scheduled at the end of March, beginning of April in Seattle. Um, if you would be asked to walk 100 miles for a course, 100 miles in a week, um, yeah, for which course would you walk and why? Yeah, well, I would, I would walk for... Um climate change for the environment i would walk for um diversity equity and inclusion probably um some of the things that i care the most about um those could get me i mean i already walk quite a lot you know um i'd love it needs to be around raising awareness and increasing dialogue um and, and so not just to raise money but like i know that that walk is going to have like significant impact so the way that you walk and you talk with others at the same time I, i'd love that because we could have all kinds of great conversations about what really matters Steve Hartman of CBS, um, he started something, he's, I think he's calling it the, the gift, you know, um, one simple act of kindness uh, that, that can create a ripple effect. Mm. And, and uh, so I, he's made a couple of videos around that. My question is, what are your thoughts about that? You know, the simple act of kindness related with, you know, that it can lead to uh, lots of other things. Um and if you would be asked on the spot, so now, to come up with one simple act of kindness, what would you do? Okay, I'll do it right now. I'll say, if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you are freaked out about the climate, if you're suffering from climate anxiety, if you are feeling the way I sometimes feel, and you need somebody to talk to, I want you to get on the phone and call me. And I will... I will pick up if I can. Uh, text me. Um, Maurice is going to give you that information because this stuff is real, and it it can feel heavy, and you don't want to be alone in that, right? Um, so reach out. 
that's what I will do is I will hold space for you to just let it out and um and just talk. I'm serious because man, <laughs> I've been there a lot lately. Yes, and if you go to the podcast notes, you will be able to find a link that will bring you to information on how to contact Melissa O'Mara. Yes, Melissa, your question for the next guest. And also to everybody that's listening is my question, because you can answer it for yourselves. Um, what is the thing you really want um, that you're that you that you haven't been willing to ask for or make happen yet? And what's stopping you? And who can you call to help you move forward? Because we don't want to be stuck right now. These you know conversations always go extremely fast. Um, I, before I ask you the last. Uh, question I, I just want to to tell the listeners that um and and I think most of the listeners know me by now that you know when I say you really need to read this book or you need to listen to this music it means that I've read the book I've listened to the music so I can really attest to it and in this case I can do the same I I've been at sessions that Melissa you know facilitated you know uh, organized and I really think it's worthwhile to check her, check her out, you know, connect with her and and see um, if she can be of help. So you make sure that uh, all that information will be mentioned in, in the podcast notes. Thank you, Maurice. No, oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's, I, I think you're great. So, um, yeah, my, the, my question is, is, what is your message, any message, any invitation? Uh, for the listeners so I know a lot of your listeners are already like um, very uh, connected into this sustainability space um, I want to make you aware of um, in addition to what we talked about today um, something that's coming from Frederick Lelou that is will be in theory released at the end of January he's been working on it for two or three years and it's called the week um, and you can go to the website, theweek.oo to learn more. Um, Frederick lives down the road from me um, now, but he's originally, um, I think, from Belgium. And his wife, Helen, uh, and he have partnered to create what they're calling a new ecological and climate playbook. And it is a, it's modeled around Theory U. And so it's a three-day within a week that you um, listen to a one-hour film and you have a half-hour discussion. And then a second film and a half-hour discussion and a third film and a half-hour discussion. And it is an it is a bigger game. It is a you process. You're activating. Um, you're kind of opening minds' hearts to the reality on the first day, which I think is... Um, kind of the hardest day to, to really take in all the facts and put all the pieces together around um, species extinction, um, pollution and climate change. So it's not just climate change. The second day is sort of around what's the old story that we've been living 
And what's the new story that's starting to emerge that's possible? And can we flip it? And then the third day is what, what can you do that will be, that you'll be proud to do, that it will be joyful for you, that, that feels like the right thing to do next. So it's an, it's, it's getting, it's helping people to take action quickly. And there's no shaming, blaming, there's no tear down the system. It's, it's beautifully done. And, um, and I believe it's worthy and, and we're, I'm going to be helping to bring this into companies. So if you want to run a pilot or be in a pilot to uh, potentially to assess whether you want to bring this into your company called The Week at Work. Uh, it's the same film series, but it's it's you bringing it into your workplace. Um, please reach out to me. And Maurice, I know that you know about this, but I, I really wanted to oh, share it with your great. audience. And again, here, I also can attest to that it's worthwhile um, doing it. Melissa, thank you so much. I would like to end with uh, wishing you all the best with your bigger game. Um, like to thank you for sharing your knowledge, your stories, your wisdom, so that we can all continue to work on our bigger game. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And um, yeah, it was, it, it was again, uh, you know, delight to speak with you and yeah, all the best. We've got lots of work to do, so let's, let's keep at it. it. This episode was made possible by the support of an organization called CWS. You want to be part of the movement? Well, sign up to become a sustaining partner. As a sustaining partner, you can make a difference in the world automatically every month. Sustaining partners commit to a hopeful future by making compassion a part of their monthly budget. It could mean new systems to manage precious resources like water or diversified ways of earning a living that make people more resilient. For as little as $10 a month, you can transform lives. You want to check it out? Well, go to cbsglobal.org slash sustain. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.